perfect. Woohoo. And I don't know if I'm, I, I probably will be too lazy even to throw in the, <laughs> the opening theme song to the Mark and Toddcast. So I guess we could just imagine that in our heads right now. Welcome to another Mark and Toddcast. I am Todd, but Mark is not with me. Instead, we have a co-host of the Not Nerd podcast, our, my friend and yours, Nate Heath. How are you? I am, I am good. I am gl- glad to attempt to fill Mark's shoes. I'm uh, quickly Googling for dad jokes because I did not uh, come as prepared as I would like to. So maybe oh, we just right. need to, I, I, am, I am not Mark. I am not Mark you tonight. Are... <laughs> that's the joke. Yes. <laughs> I'll give that a... There we go. Uh, practical. Well, no, yes, effects. it's it's practical effects, and yes, you are you are filling in uh, last minute. So I appreciate the the company. I would just kept looking at my stack of news that keeps getting larger and larger, <laughs> yes. and my my incessant need to uh, talk about them. Yes, um, need to close but, some tabs. I know that exactly. one exactly very well. I don't have to. Well, and the hard thing too is I have I have to have three different browser windows open i have to have like my main one just for whatever then i have to have another private one open for my youtube channel because Mm. google won't let you like whatever and then a third one for all my school stuff so like restarting the computer is such a pain. I have to like write down what tabs i had open like reopen them all pro tip there's a way to save your tab so it'll reopen even the private window ones though oh, the, the private my, window my, one that's that's tough my, now in that case what i would usually do is uh sometimes i'll use a different browser if it's something like that just to or create a new i have tons of profiles but nobody wants yeah. to hear about my digital hoarding <laughs> I should I should like do all my school stuff in Chrome or something like that, but it's just such a it's just such a pain. Yes. So so I don't do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but and yes. only you would have the need to write down browser tabs <laughs> when restarting your computer, much like me carrying two wallets. Peak Todd is writing down on a parchment the browser tabs that you need to revisit. Uh, I did find, oh, I, I, I shared it with you and Dave uh, when I was at the bins this week and found uh, an old Apple Apple uh, TV, yeah. which works nicely. And the battery, awesome. the remote still works. So that works great. And I found this cool side loading VCR, but the oh. VCR doesn't doesn't work. Oh. I, I think it, it it's close enough to working that I think it probably just needs some crazy belt uh, oh. replaced or something like that, which I won't do. It'll, it'll go on top of my beta, my beta max and my CED player that yes. are both you, almost working. Now you have old people. It seems like you would have a VCR repairman on speed <laughs> dial that you would have somebody in your realm I do know people that yes would repair the VCR if I asked. So <laughs> that that was a correct summation. Yes, on your part. Um, but before we get into some of the news that I had built up, I wanted to um, talk about Tubi 
a little bit. Oh, yeah. Something that I've mentioned on our podcast before, and I think we mentioned on Portland at the Movies a lot because of our, a lot of our low-rent movies are available on Tubi. Yeah. But uh, Tubi, for those that don't know, is a is an app that has free uh, movies and TV content. They do have ads in them, but the ads are not egregious. They're spaced out pretty well and they have like a huge selection of things like a lot of crazy b movies and like bad movies but like they've got like top they're like birds of prey and suicide squad is on there right now and they have a whole and maybe netflix does this but not very well netflix is just so hard to navigate like to what you want and tubi has a great um if you go into their search function and to their um um, different genres. They have a ton of genres, like basic action and all those, but then they have like anime, adult animation, audio description, black cinema, canceled too soon, <laughs> which is like all these random TV shows oh, nice. that aired like six episodes that are like on there. Something called cuffing season c-u-f-f-i-n-g which Mm. when i clicked on it had like some romancy movies but then they also have a romance section so i'm not quite sure it's i didn't spend a lot of time in cuffing (laughs) season because i didn't didn't do that in your school browser window (laughs) which would be appropriate because my school browser is always logged into twerkho based on my school given password of my first letter of my first name and twerkho from my last <laughs> yes, name. Yes, I love that one. I thought about that uh, earlier oh. today. Now, uh, real-time follow-up, and I should yeah. save this for a future Wikipedia, Wars of Wikipedia episode, Ooh. but cuffing season is typically defined as the time of year when single people actively search for short-term romantic partners to spend the colder months with. <laughs> I thought they were going to say holiday season. Yeah, I guess they just no, added that to from October through March, culminating with Valentine's Day, which is not in March. <laughs> uh, Real time follow up. That's the yes. wrong month. <laughs> the term "cuff" is a is slang that alludes to handcuffs and means metaphorically to attach oneself to another individual. So yeah, okay, like winter well... romantic comedies, also known as the Hallmark. Yeah, yeah, network. So... Wow, that's incredibly specific. But yeah, they have this <laughs> a, a specific like other holiday one with all of them and like heist, faith movies, Alamo draft house movies, oh. Italian giallo horror, which is a subsection <laughs> of horror. They have the things that are only free on Tubi. Like it's it's very much worth and it like I said it's free. It has yeah. a couple ad breaks that aren't excruciating. Speaking of ad breaks, I I don't know if you spend as much time on Facebook as I do. But um, yes. even now in suggested and sponsored videos that are like over three months, they are inserting ad breaks. Facebook is for like a completely oh, different. So geez. you'll get like I get a lot of America's Funniest Home Video compilations yes. suggested to me. <laughs> one and does. like two minutes into that, they'll be like inserting an ad. So that's oh. a beta. I think something in beta that I hope is going poorly. Ads because... are just everywhere. And yeah, to be I tend to use one i have to be on my apple tv as well but there's one called pluto tv which yeah. is very similar uh ad supported and there was some name that we had on the podcast months ago there's like some acronym for what they call these these streaming apps um, oh yeah but the interesting thing is i just got an ad supported tv for free 
How is that? There is a new company called Telly. So we've got Telly, Tubi, all these names, T-E-L-L-Y. And their whole idea, it's a very nice 55-inch TV, a speaker bar underneath it. And then under that, there's a second screen that shows you ads. What? And because I'm a nerd, I signed up for their beta program, and they sent me this huge TV, and I set it up, and yeah, it shows ads. So their whole idea with all these, and even Netflix has their ads version, and Disney and Hulu, all these different things, they're like, well, why don't we just add ads to the TV? And so is it a con- is it it's a separate screen or it's like a dedicated <laughs> lower third or what is it? My daughter Isla was very confused. She's like, "Why are the speakers in the middle of the screen?" <laughs> so it's actually probably it's the width of the TV and maybe 8 inches tall, another very nice screen where you can put some widgets and it'll have the time and the weather and then on the right side it'll show an ad, but you, there's even some games like you can play Flappy Bird on the lower screen while you're watching something on the top screen. It's really an interesting wow. idea. I, I don't know if it's like going to take so over what, the world. But then what are you? Are, <laughs> so is there, I guess, is there plan to give people free TVs or they're just doing that to promote it? No, because, that's like, that's their whole business model okay. is they will give you free TVs. And I just got in early, but you can go to their website and sign up and, uh, and get in line for the TVs. But they said they've been shipping. I heard an interview with the owner of the company or founder, whatever. And he's like, hey, Ads are everywhere. What if we give away a free TV and show you ads? Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, so I could watch Tubi on my telly TV and just have ads everywhere, and I'm watching everything for free. (laughs) And then get ads in your content from Facebook. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Wow. Well, that's crazy. So anyway, yeah, check it out. Tubi is a a great option as as people are cutting back on cable and other subscription services. And I, for the first time in my life, after the NBA season last year, I had YouTube TV for years and Comcast always before that. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take a break. And now I've gone five months without traditional TV through YouTube TV. And it's like, man, I'd like to watch some sports here and there, but there's so much free stuff out there that. Well, and you might be able to get over the air HD, which often will have at least major networks, which will show. Yeah. And I I knew somewhere in my garage, I have an antenna and the tele TV does have a coax on it. So you can plug it in antenna. Oh, nice. uh, I'm going to give that a try. But yeah, it's just like for only sports, I'm going to pay. I think I had it discounted at 65 bucks a month for YouTube TV. And it's like there's nothing else I can't believe because that's all I watch is YouTube. And so every once in a while, I'm like, I should just get it. And then I see the price. I'm like, that is insane. That's like so crazy. Well, and most of what I watch besides Dr. R.I.P. VHS (laughs) is – my daughter and I watch a ton of Mr. Beast, and I know you and I have talked about it a little oh, bit, yeah. but uh, the phenomenon, he's at 212 million subscribers Jeez. now or something. It's insane, but uh, yeah, so it's like, we're, or she's watching some YouTube video or something, and I do pay for the YouTube premium, so I don't get YouTube ads, which nice. 
is one of the best investments I can make. I go over to my parents' house and they have the Comcast box and it takes like a minute to get YouTube open and then play some ads. And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> First world problems. Exactly. Well, are we ready to dive yes. into some exciting news? Uh, well, Portland's Burnside Bridge, which I have now lived in Portland about 25-ish years, and I have never seen the Burnside Bridge not under construction or closed. <laughs> yes. Like, in my mental map of Portland, it does not exist because you can <laughs> never Don't plan use it. on it. And then you get stuck on it, but that's another <laughs> yes. another, another thing. <laughs> uh, but the Burnside Bridge is, wait for it, going to close for five years during a seismic rebuild starting in 2027 due to the instability of the soil on which it stands and the infrastructure on either side of the Willamette River. Engineers will essentially be building three bridges. One, uh, Each one will have to be connected to the other in a way that ensures they remain standing and functional after a major earthquake. Uh, it'll be fully closed for five years, says the construction manager, Emily. Emily, that sounds like a girl. <laughs> construction manager, Emily Militich. Yes. Uh, the, there are several reasons for the long closure. Among them is the Endangered Species Act, <laughs> ding, which ding, means ding. that work in the river is constrained to times when endangered salmon are not running, which uh, that really drives the length of the schedule for construction. Um, it's also extra delicate because there's some key transportation corridor corridors like the Interstate 5, Interstate 84, and the North-South Railroad line, which so in all, it's about a 600 to 700 foot long span, wow. which means there's a limited number of bridge designs. Um when the bridge was first built in 1926, two piers in the river were placed on 380 tree trunks <laughs> driven into the mud. <laughs> and they've held up apparently remarkably well. But in an earthquake, wow. the soil could liquefy and make the trunks fall over like pickup sticks, says this article. <laughs> um so they will replace that with a 10-foot diameter concrete steel reinforced column sunk into the bedrock. Um and if, if you ever want to be terrified, this I think a video came out maybe 10, 15 years ago that showed a simulation for like if and when the mm. Pacific Northwest gets the big one yes. and all of our bridges go away. Like what chaos that will cause in Portland, because that is the main emergency route to yeah. get across the rivers. The rail lines go across our bridges. Um, so... That is most of the most of Portland's old town bridges are not expected to remain functional <laughs> if there's a big earthquake. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I I used to work in warehousing and it was always, you know, oh, what if there was an earthquake and these warehouse racks fell down? And I said, if we have an earthquake that big in Portland, you have much bigger problems than your boxes inventory. of widgets that are stored on <laughs> pallet racks. It's be our bridges chaos. are going to going to liquefy, and like there's a bunch of natural gas lines that go across no. those bridges, so like those will be opened up. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. If we get the big one, which when I first saw this article online, you know they're saying the big one is due to hit, which I remember in the mid '90s in high school in Portland we did earthquake drills because the big one was about to hit. So I uh, am. Yes, I have an internship right now in a uh, in a high school and they just had an earthquake uh, after they had their uh, active shooter drill, oh, yeah. which was <laughs> something I was not familiar with. All drills all the time. Oh, oofta. Um, 
anyway, back to our back to our exciting bridge. The bridges yeah. expect will have to have a movable deck still, so large ships can sail. I'm assuming that just means a classic drawbridge. Yeah. It goes up. Um, there'll be a bike and pedestrian lanes and two lanes of traffic each way. No rail, but it will be streetcar ready in case that option is ever adopted. Um, so they'll start demolition of the bridge. So it sounds good that they're just starting over. Because like I said, it has yeah. been under construction since I've lived here. Yeah. So um, from 2027 to 2031, Oof. just cross the cross the Burnside Bridge off your mental map <laughs> yeah. if it's if it's not gone already. Luckily for those not familiar with Portland, there are several other bridges to get you across yes. the river. It is not our only bridge <laughs> until they liquefy. <laughs> <laughs> until liquefaction. <laughs> Uh, well, Marty Croft, who is mm. part of the producers of the colorful 1970s children's shows, dies at 86. Uh, Marty and his brother Sid produced the 1970s Saturday morning classic classics such as H&R Puffin Stuff and Land of the Lost. Uh, H&R Puffin, I watched Land of the Lost pretty religiously when that was in reruns, but I, I don't know that I saw, I know enough about them that I must have seen them in passing, but yeah. that was some weird create H&R Puffin stuff and Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. I do remember that one. Yes, yes. Uh, Adam Carolla famously had a bit for years and years about just what utter trash the Sid and Marty Croft stuff was. And then he had Marty's brother, Sid, on the podcast within the last year, who's in his 90s. Um, yes. But he, Sid was like, hey, I get it. Make fun of our stuff. You know what we were doing? Printing money. And it was, you know, just this drug-induced, 70s, weird puppet, like... It TV. was its own aesthetic, that's for sure. But yeah. I mean, Land of the Lost, I think, was a for for a kids show was like super scary. The sleaze stacks, yeah. Which I saw. There's that guy. There's the Portland sleaze stack, of course. No, of and course. And he always shows up at all. Like I went to the um the Portland Weird Gala yes, uh, a couple weeks ago, which was which is pretty great. And the Unipiper was there, and uh, and a, a bevy of Portland weirdos yeah. uh, were there, and the Portland sleaze stack. And that costume is no joke. Really? It is. I mean, I imagine a hundred times better than whatever they used on the TV <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah. But it is absolutely amazing. And there's another guy there. Maybe he listens to the show now who came up to, I think Mark directed him at me. I think, I think perhaps Mark wanted to deflect the conversation, <laughs> but uh, this man in a crazy, a crazy blonde wig and a, and a mask. That's just a giant eyeball cornered me, <laughs> cornered me at one point, probing me for a good name for his character. Cause he wants to become established in the oh, Portland, nice. so in the Portland like, weird community. <laughs> yes. So very nice. Uh, yeah. But that was really fun. So yes, sad, sad day. Yeah. Marty Croft. And yeah, his 94 year old brother, Sid, who is still alive. Um, so yeah. And his brother one. was totally with it. Like on the podcast, it was, um, wow. God, who's the other TV producer that did every TV show. I'm just blanking on his name back in the day. Who's like in his nineties. And it's like Aaron spelling. <laughs> Not Aaron Spelling, but yeah, the just sharp as attack in their nineties. Could we only dream? Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, t- to another local icon. Yes. Yes. Next, next up, and I believe I asked you about him recently, or I know I've talked about him, but John Schroeder, Portland's most iconic Elvis impersonator, is starring in a detective movie. 
Now, Schroeder is stepping into a new role, movie star. On Thursday, November 30th, the Star Theater will host the world premiere of Midnight Mayhem, a murder mystery that Schroeder wrote and stars in. The more of Schroeder's career will be fully on display at Midnight Mayhem's premiere. In addition to the early 7 p.m. show, there will be a 10 p.m. screening uh, the same night. But yes, John Schroeder, the unofficial mayor of Saturday Market, the Elvis impersonator that, I mean, I remember way back uh, seeing him down at Saturday Market, but he has been... A Portland staple, unlike no other. But this movie, uh, are you gonna? Do yes, you have uh, tickets I, yet? I mean, I Portland in yet. the movies. I, you guys should I be know. VIP we got guests. In, we got invited to the Tanya Harding movie yeah. marathon a couple of years ago. Why not Portland Elvis? But yeah, he was also at the um, at the Weird Portland Gala. Yeah. Uh, speaking of speaking of that, so yes, Thursday, November thirty at the Star Theater. So Midnight Mayhem. Yes, interesting. <laughs> His acting debut. Debut. Yes, yes, indeed. Ah, uh, well, this one I'll put on my PDX fast foodie hat. Uh, a population of hard to eradicate super pigs in Canada is threatening verbally to invade the U.S. <laughs> And northern states like Minnesota, North Dakota, and Montana are taking steps to stop the invasion. Uh, In Canada, the wild pigs roaming Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba pose a new threat. They are often crossbreeds that combine the survival skills of wild Eurasian boar with the size and high fertility of domestic swine, my band name in high school, to create a super pig that's spreading out of control. Feral swine are often called the most invasive animal on the planet and an ecological train wreck, uh, my college band name. Pigs are not native to North America. While they've roamed parts of the continent for centuries, Canada's problem dates back only to the 1980s when it encouraged farmers to raise wild boar. Brooks said the market collapsed after peaking in 2001, (laughs) and some frustrated farmers simply cut their fences, (laughs) setting the animals free. Now, Todd, I was curious on this. They're talking about invading the U.S. Does that mean it would convert from Canadian bacon into (laughs) standard bacon once they cross the border? With our our dad joke. Yes. (laughs) Ah, uh, yes, but uh, nice. I have heard in other areas where pigs just oh, pigs are awful. Like especially the the like in places like Arkansas and the South, the those Razorback pigs are just because they have like fifty babies at a time and they eat everything, and so they are like literally eat everything like los- locusts, except they're giant super pigs. Yeah, and so yeah, a lot of hunting season will be going just to thin those herds out to keep because you can't grow anything or keep a farm or anything so i can just imagine there's some guys on the minnesota border that just have their firing line they've got their text (laughs) message thread and it's like here they come get your guns we're taking out (laughs) some swine (laughs) it's like the in the the last of us where they just have a a trigger to a gatlin gun that just mows down everything when it's triggered yes yes but hopefully they're edible uh and that we can utilize this pork I, I don't think they are because I don't know that 
I see a lot of like it doesn't seem like that a lot of people are eating it. Like when you go down south, there's a lot of weird feel foods, but I don't know yeah. that they're eating a lot of I don't know maybe wild boar, I guess. But it would seem like maybe they're like the pigeons of the uh, of that kind of livestock where they're <laughs> yes. just like disgusting to eat. Yes. Uh, well, if they crossbreed those with something that tastes good, and then let those go crazy, and just and let we'll those solve go our free. food problems. It's like the cane toads in Australia, which yeah. I don't – speaking of uh, things that are no longer available to rent or stream, there's a fantastic documentary that I was able to get through uh, Netflix when they did stuff through the mail. And it's mm-hmm. called cane, cane Toads, An Unnatural History. Wow. And it's a whole documentary of when they introduced those cane toads to Australia to get rid of some pest on sugar cane. And then there's no natural enemy, and now they are literally – everywhere and they cannot get rid of these toads oh man so funny well speaking of things that we're reintroducing into environments (laughs) that we don't fully understand (laughs) a woolly mammoth de-extinction project is underway using dna from asian elephants and dna recovered from woolly mammoths frozen in the arctic tundra research at colossal biosciences are using gene uh, editing technology to re-engineer the genome of the Asian elephant until it reflects that of a woolly mammoth. And they have set the due date for 2028, one year into the Burnside Bridge (laughs) construction. Yeah, when you're sitting around watching the Burnside Bridge (laughs) being built. Um, Says this guy, when I was offered this position... Um, I was sort of considering my life choices and this amazing opportunity to work at Colossal. My little brother called me and said, do you understand that you could be the first modern human to ever see a woolly woolly mammoth? You could be the first person that's there to take a photo with that mammoth. And the opportunity is not lost on me, said the guy who has the worst reason ever for bringing an extinct species (laughs) back to life. So I could get a selfie. He he wants it for the the social media credit. Um, he says that restoring a mammoth ecosystem can preserve the permafrost on grounds that remain uh, frozen and slow the release of greenhouse gases, which I'm not sure how all those puzzle pieces, if we're having problem with, with cow farts, I don't know if we're releasing the mammoth is going to do that. Um, same thing. He says this is probably what worth 100 different lifetimes of achievement to accomplish wow. this goal, says man with the biggest head in the world. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Um, but we have to push it as fast as we can <laughs> <laughs> to fix this imminent threat of global climate change. Good grief. Um, he's announced similar plans for the Dodo and Tasmanian tiger or thylacine Uh, work is also underway to, uh, on the habitats to rewild the animals at sustainable level, blah, blah, blah. So look, look forward to the collapse of our ecosystem, (laughs) uh, coming in 2028. Uh, So. Reminds me of a movie out there. Was it uh, Jurassic <laughs> Park? Did anybody see that one? Is that available still, or have they taken? taken no longer on streaming. Uh, just because we can doesn't mean I always butcher the quote. But Dave uh, yeah. does it well. Oh man, that is that is wild, but not quite as wild as our next one. No, yes, in tech news. Yes, 
self-proclaimed gay furry hackers breach <laughs> nuclear lab. Who had that on their 2023 <laughs> bingo card? The Nuclear Reset Search Hub, Idaho National Laboratory, INL as we know it, confirmed that it fell victim to a data breach on Tuesday. Sieged Sec, a group of self-proclaimed gay furry hackers, took responsibility for the attack and claimed they access sensitive employee data like social security numbers, home addresses, and more. The hacktivist group Sieged Sec conducted a high-profile attack on NATO last month, leaking internal documents as a retaliation against those countries for their attacks on human rights. INL works as a Department of Energy affiliate researching nuclear reactors, among other projects like sustainable energy. It employs more than 5,000 people. So I initially thought maybe this was the same group, and now that I'm kind of looking into their their other shenanigans, because <laughs> there is the there is the group of quote gay furry hackers that when those states wanted to pass anti-trans laws, oh, yes. spammed all of the so there's um, multiple gay reports. furry hacker groups. I there might be unless they're all part of Siege Sec. I forgot to I forgot to look into them, but yeah. I didn't I didn't quite know that they were attacking NATO and the Department of Energy. And and I'm so. sorry bunch of gay furries couldn't come up with a better name than sieged sex there's nothing sec. animal in there there's nothing gay in there come on <laughs> it's very difficult to say siege sec. yes it is a mouthful strange, is, so. i feel vulnerable <laughs> when i say sieged sec he said it yes. he said it i have gotten much better at he vulnerable. said the catchphrase well, this next story, uh, Brian, the Unipiper, uh, dropped in in the group chat that oh. we have going. And it's something that I haven't heard from anywhere else. And it seems yeah. like it would be a bigger deal. Yes. So I'm not quite sure. So I'll just pass this along <laughs> as uh, as the info I have. But it says Banksy, who is the street artist, f- uh, famously uh, unidentified, yeah. which is part of his intrigue. But Banksy's identify finally revealed in a lost BBC interview. In an interview between the up-and-coming street artist and former BBC arts correspondent Nigel Wrench, up at uh, head of Banksy's turf war show in the summer of 2003. So this is way back in, th- in 2003. Wow. They were interviewing him. The interviewer asked if he could use Banksy's real name in the interview, citing that the uh, the newspaper, The Independent, had already used it. He then asked if his name was Robert Banks, and the artist replies, "It's Robbie." Wow. So. An edited version of the recording had recently been used as part of the BBC podcast series, The Banksy Story, ooh, which I will definitely mm, need to start yeah. listening to, uh, released in July. Wrench, after listening to the podcast series, was inspired to revisit the full original recording and discover the pivotal information about the artist that was never used. So it can be heard now. But like I said, this should be bigger news if this is the case. And if the if yes. it ends up being that world-famous, you know, mysterious artist... Banksy is just some guy. Robbie Banks. Like, which yeah, that's that, a little. That name's a little suspect. Yes, now that you say that out loud, that also sounds pretty, pretty sus, as the kids would <laughs> yes, say. As so, they would. Yeah, no, will, that's wild. I'm, it is a one of the great mysteries of our generation is just Banksy and the cool street art and different stuff he's done over the years. 
Um, and it said, yeah, and it says that this is it said the the newspaper, the Independent, had already used his real name. So I'm I'm oddly enough getting ready to start um, a Banksy biography that I found. Oh, so wow. it'll be interesting to see if this comes up in that at all. Which speaking of biography, I I uh, um, tagged your wife in my post about yes. the 800 uh, page <laughs> yes. Madonna biography that I just read that is really 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 good so if anybody wants to re- <laughs> to dive into an 800 page book or listen to the 44 yes, hour I did see that comment the audiobook audiobook which I'm excited for my road trip this summer to to listen to the audio wow it's, it's very well done all of the other I've never really read any of the biographies put out because they're always kind of tabloidy yeah trashy stuff that nobody really that always just cite you know sources close to whatever yeah. says that she decapitated someone in the recording studio and it's like well no but yeah the the lady who wrote this one is just like a, a historian hmm. and she had done some book on robert uh robert <laughs> on robert banksy you know <laughs> yes. on uh carl marx and his wife wow. for some reason and then another group of like female artists in like the 20s or 30s and she was kind of looking around for another book to do it on. And she noticed like a lot of her friends, it was like, I think the last time she toured, like got so excited and she's like, well, why? And they're like, well, it kind of started to sing. And so she said the more and more she kind of dove into her story, the more amazed she was at just yeah. like how it all happened and what she did and her viewpoints and all that. So very much worth a read. It's called A Rebel a Rebel Life by Mary Gabriel Madonna, A Rebel Life. So wow. do check that out at your local library. Yes, yes, that is, um, uh, sounds like a good one. An icon, much like Banks, well, more so than Banksy, well, <laughs> just slightly, <laughs> slightly more But the more same well idea, known. I mean, the the kind of the whole point of uh, like where Madonna started with Andy Warhol and Basquiat and all those really weird New York artists that were like, Art isn't behind gated walls. It's this stuff we do in the street and it's stuff that should be owned by the people. So like it's all like that weird underground vibe that that came out that I'm sure Banksy came out of, too. So, yeah, well, moving moving along to our our trademark segment, not just the headlines. Yes. Well, here we go. Not just the headlines. Open AI future in chaos as most workers threaten to leave for Microsoft. So, yeah, this story is already outdated. I and I was hoping you crazy. could put context in it because I I saw so much news about this and the CEO that was ousted and then is back. So, can you explain a little bit about what yeah, is going so on? Yeah, so Sam Altman is the has been the CEO of, and I believe one of the founders of OpenAI with the chat GPT. And... Just out of nowhere, like on a Friday afternoon, before the closing of the stock market, which a lot of people said was weird, they just said the board said he was gone, but then like the board president didn't know. So it was this weekend of just like, what in the world's going on? Microsoft offered him a job in this article, 700 of the company's roughly 770 employees (laughs) signed a letter threatening to quit. Unless the board resigned and reappointed Altman. So it's just That's wild. Crazy. So it sounds like I was reading some articles, uh, getting cut up for the Not Nerd podcast. And it sounds like um, they are going to bring Sam Altman back to OpenAI. It just, it's really weird. I'm, 
not nerd. I said it probably won't affect most people. Whatever happens with this, because you know Microsoft already uses a lot of OpenAI stuff. But I mean, it's Did... been about a year since ChatGPT was released, and it really has had a a big impact on. Uh, well, the does world. the board, it sounds like the board was trying to do a bunch of random stuff that everybody revolted. So that's a little curious as yeah, well. Too. Yeah. And so, yeah, the board and they like wouldn't give a reason. They said there was some issues and so they were just going to let him go. But he was very beloved in the tech world. Like everybody's like, Sam Altman, you're, you do your thing. But OpenAI was started as like a nonprofit but then they had their profit arm where they're making money. So it's really this complicated business structure. And so I think some of that they had just made, thought, oh, we'll just get rid of Sam Altman, everything. Nobody will notice. <laughs> and it was just like the tech world went crazy over it. <laughs> and yeah, like literally Microsoft made him an offer and he was supposedly going to start last Monday, but now he might be back at OpenAI. And I. Wow. It is it is a, a wild story that really nobody cares about, but in the tech world, it's to have such a popular company and just out of nowhere, it's like we're letting go of the CEO. And I mean, Microsoft has invested like ten billion with a B dollars into OpenAI, and they've integrated ChatGPT into all their into Bing. You know, everybody's <laughs> using Bing these days, right? but yeah a oh, wild baby. story wow uh and this all right next one local story larog brothers jewelry stores closing after 113 years in portland area yeah wow that is jewelry stores to me are just such a weird thing I am very fortunate. My wife does not wear a lot of jewelry, uh, and nice. either do I. Um, we do have <laughs> wedding bands, and that's... you do have that giant gold necklace with the dollar sign well, on it that you're yes. wearing right now, though. Yes, but, but uh, other than that, Larog did not carry that. But I remember. <laughs> I think they were probably at Lloyd Center, which I spent a lot of time back in the day. I think they were in most of the local malls, and it looks like uh, they just have stores in Clackamas and Tigard. So I'm yeah, guessing Washington that one in, Square and Clackamas Town Center? It's not attached to Washington Square. It's okay. kind of on the corner near Washington oh, Square. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's been there been there forever. Not not. It's on the other side of the freeway is Shane Company. Yeah. Open Saturday and Sunday till 8. Uh, I didn't know. Shane is in a bunch of different cities. Yeah. And every once in a while, I hear an ad of him saying the wrong address, and it just trips me out. It's so weird. Yeah, but. It is crazy. Yeah, I think I was in Seattle or something. It's like, wait a second. That's not right. Uh, but yeah, to, to think 113 years, but I just, I don't know who's buying a lot of jewelry these days that isn't. Yeah. Like especially, and it could that be that type. it's a, a family operation that they just want to. They've been working 113 years and they need to retire. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm 113 now. It's time to lock the doors. Move on. Yes, and uh, also in Tigard, this was all the rage uh, in local news. A cougar spotted in Tigard turns out to be a big house cat. Uh, yeah, this was a uh, yeah because. Chelsea was like, hey, we got to watch out. There's this cougar near us. I mean, oh, the funny. park is my couple miles away from our house. And yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, are you guys, what city are you? 
what city do you guys technically live in? We're Tualatin. So, okay. But Cook Park kind of backs up to yeah. uh, Tualatin there, the Tualatin yeah. River. Um, there, yeah, there's a great video clip of a, of a guy, of a reporter, in the, literally in the field being like, reports of a... <laughs> Of a cougar, and, and he turns around, and there's like a cat sitting like a hundred feet in the distance. He's like, "And that's not one." <laughs> Back to you in the office or whatever. Yes, yes. There was some uh, that... good memes on uh, local memes. You gotta love them. Yes, and one one article that I actually actually cut out of here. But did you see the video of the giant inflatable hamburger? Oh yeah, in, yeah. In Newburgh, that let loose and was rolling down the street. Yes, it was. I mean, a massive. And imagine a big, you know, bounce house or whatever that size of a hamburger. And I think it was at the Burger King restaurant, which I didn't. As a as PDX fast foodie, I do not understand how Burger King's still in business. Like I don't. Oh really? I mean, oh, funny. I I like the theory of Burger King. I just <laughs> never go there. But I go down to Newburgh every once in a while, and there's that Burger King sitting there. And um, yeah, but that was Colin's favorite uh, favorite place to go for hamburgers was the yes was and Burger they King. they do cool like retro like. A lot of their colors and stuff. And I mean, as a kid, we were at Burger King. There was one near our house in Northeast Portland with an outdoor, like all metal playground <laughs> back in the day. And uh, Squid Games, the playground. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we were there all the time. And it's like, I always take the coupon sheet out of the little weekly mailer. And I'm like, okay, this I'm going to go week. to Burger King this time. <laughs> and I just, there's not one real close to us. So it's, yeah. uh, and they are on the scale of fast food restaurants, uh, a lot more expensive than, than some of the other options as far as their dollar menus and stuff like that. Yeah. But they, yes. Yeah. They my brother used to, he had something in the app. You could combine a couple of coupons and get like $20 worth of food for five bucks. But, uh, we just finished our, not just the headlines trademarked segment, um, yes. which I talked to my legal team and yes, you cannot use just the headlines as we okay. do on not nerd, but I was thinking you need a new segment of just the titles from the Dr. R.I.P. VHS channel Ooh. where you read off some of your recent titles like... Oh, that's good. Safety Kids, Play It Smart, Stay Safe from Drugs, Whitetail, <laughs> Scent Secrets, View and Do, Tape 22, Gallery Glass, Glass Art, Mantis, Getting Started Assembly, Mantis, M.O., and my favorite recent one, Schmooze with Suze, Backgrounds <laughs> into the Forefront. Suze is quite the stamper, and she loves making her, her background so that she uh, can stamp on them. Yes, and the, that, one, the one before that was the Coin6 Presents Keiko's Life Story, which I believe I remember watching that uh, when it first aired back in the day, talking about Keiko and Free Willy. It's funny because Jeff Gianola, a local yes. uh, anchorman, uh, who is, I think is retiring, but he hosts that and he's like, and everybody is excited to see just how much Keiko will love living in the wild. <laughs> yes. It will be the greatest thing because they made it before Keiko straight up just like <laughs> caught pneumonia and died after being shunned by pod after pod uh. of whale. But it is quite the story to see what they built just to accommodate yeah. that that whale 
in in Nova Scotia or whatever. But yes, the that safety kids one is a great example. I of haven't just watched the terrible, that. Yet. I gotta watch that. The one. terrible anti-drug. It's got like a little group of interracial kids, uh, or like one of every race kids singing songs. There's terrible animation, Ugh. and I am very excited for the upcoming. Uh, Ooh. Drew's famous step-by-step party dances, <laughs> which includes any number of things like the electric slide and the hustle and the chicken dance. <laughs> yes, yeah. the YMCA. I was noting, the YMCA. Please I was give noting, me step-by-step directions to learn YMCA <laughs> and the hokey pokey, which the directions are in the song. Yes. So all of these, all of these learn how to dance tapes uh, are always aimed at white people. Yeah, surprisingly. Yes. So. and we need it. Yes. All right. Well, moving along, it feels like I'm not crazy, says a gardener, because they're not surprised the USDA is updating their map um, Mm. about what new plants they can grow in their warming regions. It's called the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Plant Hardiness Zone Map. And you'll see those on the back of seeds and plants when you buy them, what zones they can live on. It's the national standard for gardeners and growers to figure out which plants are most likely to survive the coldest winter temperatures. This week, the map got its first update in more than a decade, and the outlook looks warmer. The map is 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the 2012 map across the United States. The community overwhelmingly agrees that the human uh, humans burning fossil fuels like blah, blah, blah is the primary driver, but they're also not... um, They're hesitant to explicitly say uh, that... The changes to the map are due all due to uh, climate change just because of the volatility of how weather and all of that works. It's an incredibly uh, complex system. Um, but they are excited because you can now grow plants that maybe you won't. <laughs> they tried to put a good spin on it. They're like, you can now grow that citrus tree in Alaska <laughs> or whatever. Wow. Um, yes. So, yeah. 2.5 degrees is, is quite a difference. Yeah, um, I remember I was, uh, I worked in the wine industry for a couple of years, and uh, this is about 10 years ago, and I remember some of them talking because Oregon has such prime wine grape growing, but they were kind of talking about, hey, we're going to have to move a little higher up in the hills as things warm up because it'll just, it'll change that much that um, the Oregon wine industry, it's like, Hey, if those yeah. grapes aren't growing like they are now because of those changes that... Uh, yeah, just think of all our food. Yes. Not just the wine. Multiple... <laughs> no, just the wine, Todd. Just the wine. <laughs> the important things in life. Uh, well, <laughs> speaking of the important things in life... Yes. The Star Wars documentary about infamous 1978 holiday special sets... Release date in December, A Disturbance in the Force chronicles the making of the very bizarre Star Wars holiday special that aired 45 years ago and never surfaced again. (laughs) For some context, Star Wars was released in theaters in 1977 and became a cultural phenomenon. A year later, filmmaker George Lucas was talked into cashing in on the craze by producing a holiday-themed variety special 
plenty of people, approximately 13 million with an M, wow. tuned in when CBS aired Star Wars Holiday Special during the week of Thanksgiving. The only problem? It became a famously terrible two hours of television never to be shown again after its premiere at this year's South by Southwest Film Festival, a disturbance in the force will be released on digital and Blu-ray, not VHS, come on, on December 5th. <laughs> this announcement comes on Life Day, a cano- <laughs> cano- canonically Wookiee holiday in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, so they that's what they're celebrating in this in the Star Wars holiday special is Life Day, oh, okay. which is a a Wookiee holiday. But have you ever seen said uh, Star Wars holiday special? Yes, I don't believe I've seen all two hours of it, but I have seen uh, floating around some version of it, and I think maybe I my daughter got into Star Wars, and I was like, oh, we should watch this, and I was like, <laughs> no, we're not going to watch this. It is. It's so. I mean, it is. So 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 bad. I remember we uh, we watched it twice. I made everyone when I worked at the advertising agency with with Mark. I made everyone in the office sit down for like two lunch <laughs> two nice. lunch things in a row and force everyone to watch it. And then it, it was showing in Vancouver at some theater that had some amazing pristine copy of it, which doesn't make sense because it only survived because someone in like 1977 taped it off a of VCR. Yeah, but um. Yes. Well, let's see. We're gonna we're gonna start moving a little faster here. <laughs> um, back up. Where was I? Oh, yes. Our another important thing: public gayness is banned in a U.S. Uh, in a rural U.S. town. Up to five years of punishment for offenders. Well, locals in a Tennessee city are using a recently passed ordinance, basically prohibiting homosexuality in public as a loophole to ban library books they considered gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny way to put that. Gay. That book is gay. <laughs> uh, rural town Murfreesboro in June passed an ordinance banning, quote, indecent behavior, which includes, quote, indecent exposure, public indecency, lewd behavior, nudity, or sexual contact. Uh, con- conduct. The rule states that sexual conduct includes homosexuality, essentially banning all forms of public affection for gay couples besides talking. Besides talk. uh, hey, at least they can talk. I know, right? Uh, citizens found violating the new rule. Uh, citizens found violating the new rule will be barred from housing, uh, hosting public events or selling goods and services at them for two years. <laughs> Uh, those who are caught breaking the ordinance in the presence of minors will be barred for five years. Um, wow. Last last week, the Rutherford County Steering Committee met to discuss banning all books that they might that might violate that new ordinance, which resulted, thankfully, in a public backlash. Said local hero Carrie Lambert, "When have the people who banned books ever been the good guys?" Yeah. So yeah, it's all these little machinations to change the library stuff and ban books and do all that. And so. I, I do have some real time follow. Because I had seen um, California Governor Gavin Newsom had tweeted about this rule because many people believe he's ramping up for a presidential campaign. But I did find that I believe if Snopes can be trusted that just at the beginning of November that Murfreesboro, (laughs) that place, uh, they have removed the homosexuality from that code. 
Oh, okay. So they changed because this law like came in and they're like, oh, wait a second. We didn't realize that was in there from, you know, who knows when, 1919. And so I think they have changed that portion of the code for the public homosexuality. (laughs) They're uh, right on top of things, getting that off the code books. I guess uh, baby steps for Murfreesboro is is maybe what we're getting here. Well, Walmart, Costco, and other companies rethink their self-checkout. There's been a backlash, and it's growing, and stores are starting to dial back on the technology. Walmart, Costco, Wegmans, and other chains have also revised their strategies. Quote, our customers have told us over time that self-scan machines that we've got in our stores can be slow, they can be unreliable, and they're obviously impersonal, said the managing director, Nigel Murray. Uh, customers uh, also frequently misidentified which fruits and vegetables they were buying when prompted to self checkout machines. Alcohol purchases were also not smooth because they need to check your age. Um, uh, a spokesman for them said, told CNN that employees checking out shoppers was a better customer experience as <laughs> this groundbreaking study. Yes. Uh, Self-checkout expanded at supermarkets in the early 2000s as stores began to look to cut costs. How did that work out? And then grew even more during the pandemic. But now they're rethinking it. They have found that self-checkout leads to higher merchandise losses from customer errors and intentional shoplifting, known as shrink. We'll get more into that later. Um, They found that companies with self-checkout lanes and apps had a loss rate about 4% more than double. (laughs) Wait. Oh, about so, <laughs> oh, there's an important comma there. Yeah, a loss rate of about four nah. percent, which is more than double the industry average. Um, other customers take it. Uh, so uh, everyone, pay attention to this paragraph because it will tell you how to steal. Yes. Uh, other customers take advantage of the lax oversight at the self checkout. Have developed techniques for stealing, such as not scanning an item, <laughs> swapping a cheaper item like bananas for a more expensive one like steak. Which, to be fair, I have not thought of that, which is pretty yeah. great. <laughs> uh, scanning counterfeit barcodes attached to their wrists or proper uh, or properly scanning everything and then walking out without paying. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, weird. that too. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yeah that's uh i don't mind the self-checkout because i've gotten pretty fast but it is it's... it does it does need to be like 15 items or less though yeah because it's when people are taking their whole cart in there and everything needs to be checked by the yes. attendant that is not helpful not so. helpful Ah, Portland will open a downtown ice rink in effort to bring a boost to the struggling district <laughs> during the holiday shopping season. The ice rink will open alongside a holiday marketplace dubbed the Woodsy Winter Village, <laughs> featuring pop-up shops and eateries at the parking lot located underneath the west end of the Morrison Bridge between Harvey Milk and Morrison Streets along NATO Parkway which was bought by Portland Parks and Recreation earlier this year. The Rankin Holiday Market will open on December 16th and run until January 28th. The rink will be open for skaters from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day through the end of December, except on Christmas. January hours are still to be determined with global warming. (laughs) Tickets to the ice rink cost $20 per adult and $12 per child under 12. Skate rentals are included in the ticket price. The outdoor ice rink will be under a tent. 
Recent data from the Portland Metro Chamber suggests the number of people downtown this summer has nearly <laughs> doubled since the low point go. of 2020. So it went from 5 to 10, though That's they remain right. well below pre-pandemic levels. Last month, there were positive <laughs> retail stores emerging downtown, among them opening of restaurant Din Tai Fung at the Pioneer Place shopping mall. Rubio said she anticipates that the outdoor ice rink and pop-up marketplace will drive foot traffic in the area this holiday season. That's right, because the follow-up uh, headline to that is oh, yes. eight police, eight, eight, a whole eight police officers walking the streets of downtown Portland every day through the new year. Yes. And then they will once again abandon yes. all, of it, all downtown. Yeah, I do. I, I'll be interested to see how this ice rink thing goes. I mean, I know a lot of people in suburbia and they're just like, I won't go downtown for anything. Yeah. Uh, But hey, that that, we, I went to that, that weird Portland gala speaking of was actually in Chinatown and it was on a corner of like what seems to be an abandoned Korean food grocery store (laughs) that is no longer there. But like in one of the very sketch areas of that Chinatown, um, and I mean, there was a little bit of sketch around there, but I mean, we went there at night and it was mostly, mostly fine. So yeah, take that as what you do. I do like how they put in quotes in this article, positive retail stories emerging. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, nice in quotes, stores, so. but yes, retail stories, <laughs> positive. Uh, oh man. Oh, well there. Oh, I guess I did have the in- inflatable oh, giant yes, whopper yes. going through. We can Uber, pass so. one, pass that one, but it, yeah. let's actually yeah, well, let's skip. Uh, we'll skip the man busted for Oreo <laughs> attack on his wife of seventy-five, oh. and you can read that last one. And I'll quick go over the last. Yes, two. yes. DK Metcalf learning sign language just to trash talk opponents without getting flagged is the pettiest thing ever. Did you notice the motion Seattle Seahawks receiver DK Metcalf made in week 11 after scoring a touchdown over the Los Angeles Rams? They were deliberate because he was speaking American (laughs) Sign Language. As Metcalf told Rich Eisen around the 32nd mark of the video, uh, he started taking ASL classes on his days (laughs) off because he was tired of getting flagged by officials. And sure enough, fans figured out that Metcalf signed... 44, my son, after scoring because he was telling number 44 on the Rams, cornerback Akello Witherspoon, that he had burned the defensive back. Oh, that, so that is, is priceless. Pretty, that is pretty great. So a local, not often that happens, a, a, a local sports hero on the Market Podcast. But yes, the pettiness of <laughs> Seattle Seahawks receiver DK Metcalf learning to talk in sign language just to trash people is pretty great. Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, so I did have these two very long stories, which um, were bumping up on on a time allotment. But I will um, I didn't have a big topic today, so I thought we'd chat about them a little bit. Yeah. And one of them kind of coincides with the um, story of not using the self scan because of the four percent raise in what they call shrink, yeah. which is people stealing uh, retail theft, stealing from stores. And this also came up uh, when Target recently announced some clothing uh, closing of the stores. They're blaming retail theft. A lot of people are using retail theft to mask other issues, says this report. Yes. Um, 
Bolstered by local crime statistics, some stores may be overstating the extent, the extent and impact of theft uh, because it's a useful deflection, camouflaging weak demand, mismanagement, and other issues denting business right now. To be sure, theft is impacting it much more than it was before the pan pandemic, but a host of other issues from inflation to rising costs are impacting retailers through. It's just uh, theft is just many, many of the structural issues, um, most notably to shift the shift to online shopping and over expansion of brick and mortar retail companies are likely using the opportunity to uh, uh, draw attention away from lower profit margins due to higher promotions and poor inventory planning and misjudging how much merchandise they need um so the overall shrink which is defined as merchandise losses due to the external and internal theft, damage of product, uh, inventory mismatch, other errors, something, you know, fell off the truck or whatever. That makes up for 1.5 to 2% of the retailer's sales. That percentage has remained steady for years, despite retailers sounding the alarm. In that other article, they were claiming it was 4%. Yeah. Uh, this one says it's been 1.5 to 2% for a while. The National Retailer Federation said that the retailer's losses, known as shrink increased 19% last year to 1.2 billion with a B 112 um, billion. Oh, what did I say? 1.2 billion. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. 112. That's a hundred with an H I guess <laughs> billion with a B. Um, but shrink as percentage of sales fell during the height of pandemic as stores temporarily closed, obviously I grew and they reopened. Um, so this goes on and on to say that it is more than just blaming all of this theft. It's a lot of it is to cover bad management. Um, this is my favorite. Uh, cities and states are passing new laws with harsher. And so they're using this basically as a um, uh, as another moral panic. Yes. It, it brings up in this article, which is great. Um Oh, where did it go here? Uh, cities and states are passing new laws with harsher punishments, of course, for organized retail crime, which is uh, it sounds organized retail crime is different than like stealing the banana or whatever. That's like you're diverting a whole truck's worth of something to yeah. wish.com or whatever. Um, former President Donald Trump, uh -huh. the Republican presidential favorite in 2024, has said shoplifters should be shot. <laughs> <laughs> As one does. <laughs> so ah. that that truly made me laugh out loud. Yes. So, yes. Um, well, and a lot of this, I think why they're glomming onto that is there are the viral videos of, you know, a group of people going into a clothing store and just grabbing all the clothes and running out. But it, yeah, yes. how often is that happening? And I mean, really, I would say most of this is because of Amazon. Everybody just shops on Amazon all the time. So they just yeah. aren't doing the the retail stuff, but yeah, yeah. So this even mentions the Target's recent stores in uh, closing stores in New York, San Francisco, Oakland, Seattle, and Portland was due to them underperforming uh, as a smaller location, even though they quoted. Uh, that theft and organized crime were the threat yes, to that because yes. it says local statistics also raise questions about Target's rationale because they are not seeing that same thing. So a very complicated story. So yes. Have you seen um, the pictures of like the grocery stores, I think in San Francisco where like literally everything is behind glass now, like yes. shampoo, like everything. And that just, that doesn't it's seem one sustainable thing, for, it's one thing if like the Xboxes are yes. locked up, which I get, but, when you're starting to lock up like toothpaste yeah. 
that says a lot more about like people aren't stewing toothpaste for fun. Yes. Like that's something that you need, which is uh, opens up a lot of questions to the story behind why we're as a society being driven to steal, <laughs> yes, yes. steal toothpaste uh, the, and then lock the it up. Previously noted inflation. Yes. <sighs> well, this is actually a really interesting topic that I'm hoping to find someone much smarter eventually to be on the show about it, um, about universal basic income. And there's a couple things that will pop up, you know, little case studies that they're doing in little places. Um, and it seems to be, it's something that is also a very complex thing that I'm glad they're doing small case studies on it because it is super fascinating and something that at least will need to be equipped to know how to talk about. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be that universal basic income is working even in red states. Um, this is about a small town in Kentucky, I believe. Uh, a city decided that all of the $100 million in basic income funds would go to a single vulnerable group, which is formerly incarcer- incarcerated residents. Mm-hmm. So this, the case study in this in this one, the the people who are getting the universal basic income basic income were uh, people who were formerly in prison. And there's been other places that have just blanket given it to literally everyone, no matter of what their income range. Um, uh, but this article says it goes, goes on to say many taxpayers were not happy about this. They demanded to know why the city was underwriting criminals, de-incentivizing work uh, with free handouts and spending public dollars to help people who, in some opinions, might not deserve the help. Uh, Middleton is the name of the city. Uh, or the lady that works for the city answer to those criticisms was a steadfast, simple, and by his own admission, very selfish. Oh, those criticisms about, uh. um, seemed steadfast, simple, and very selfish. We're going to have to pay these, uh, for these people in one way or another, either in incarceration benefits, homeless shelters, whatever it is. He said, it seems to me that spending more money up front makes more sense than housing folks, monitoring, feeding them and taking care of their health care in prison. He encouraged the skeptical taxpayers to look at universal basic income from that same selfish point of view. <laughs> Uh, though the data is still new, basic income has proven to be a good policy everywhere it's been tested in America. A large part of the renewed interest is that, quote, we have a higher degree of inequality now than we did before the Great Depression, says one of the advocates. In the past few years, aided no doubt by the economic consequences wrought by the pandemic, centuries of theory have been at least put to the test. A few dozen cities across have be, uh, the country have been begun basic income programs, and the early results have been overwhelmingly positive. In Denver, more than 800 of the city's most vulnerable residents received monthly stipends of up to $1,000. So far, that program has reduced homelessness, increased employment, bolstered the mental health outcomes of participants. A similar program in Stockton, California, had similar effects. The unemployment rate among the 125 participants was nearly halved researchers at the university of pennsylvania said it could have profound positive impacts on local public health it costs floridians about twenty-eight thousand with a t dollars a year to hold someone in prison alternatively we're investing just seventy six hundred dollars directly to one of our valued neighbors giving them a vital income floor in city after city and cohort after cohort old cohort cohort after cohort (laughs) old young single parents ex-convicts universal basic income have improved health outcomes raised employment which is the biggest one and bolstered child care opportunities and um had 
consistently better outcomes than control groups with more data at hand than just theory. The evidence is overwhelming. It seems to be working. Um, so this goes on and on and on with some really interesting things. They found out that people were using this stipend that they were getting, which worked out to uh, $600 a month, uh, the uh, $7,200 a year. Uh, this was in um, back with the ex-convict um, mm. experiment. They said people bought medicine, they bought clothes, they paid rent. Uh, most people did normal stuff. They paid bills and bought food and some paid off student loans. They found that's typically how basic income recipients across the country spend their stipends. It's difficult to pinpoint exactly where the dollar goes, but the vast majority recipients spend them on the basics, food, school supplies, uh, or extracurriculars or developmental support for their children. Um these programs have been a resounding excess. The employment rates and housing rates above the recipients have steadily climbed. And during the program's year-long run, there was a 0% rate of recidivism. So wow. that's with the ex-cons that they use. So that's a pretty – they didn't say what the normal recidivism rate <laughs> for that was, but zero is pretty, pretty, low. pretty compelling, especially considering our uh, legal system and our prison yes. system doesn't like like to have not no customers. <laughs> yes. So, um, quote, economically stable people make better neighbors when they aren't worried about how they're going to pay the bills. They tend to not come through your windows at night. Uh, <laughs> Promising as these pilot programs are, the chances of a truly universal basic income in America remains, of course, remote. For one, empirical evidence does not equate political will. Universal basic income researchers often point to Congress's decision to not renew the COVID-era child tax credit, even though it slashed America's monthly poverty rate by 30%. <laughs> So we decided to not cut child poverty <laughs> yes. by 30%. So that's showing how difficult uh. it is to pass things like that. So um, a Washington Post story about universal basic income noted that providing $1,000 a month to every American, regardless of income, would cost more than $3 trillion, with a T, dollars a year, which is almost half of our federal spending budget for the entire government. Uh, but it also notices... Notice that pulling people out of poverty generates a huge tax increase, as well as saving all of that money on public assistance programs. Um, as Jefferson noticed, if new pilot programs produce the same results as what's been already tested, that may help sway the court of public opinion. If still more data shows that guaranteed income is reducing the need for food assistance or housing subsidies or criminal justice system or burdens on the healthcare system, it may be something that pays for itself. So yeah, that's lots wild. of more research to do, but it's certainly seeming very promising and not just promising for, you know, certain groups of people and on the backs of other ones, which a lot of these programs, I think, try to oversolve a problem by, taking taking the problem happening and just handing it to to other people who are like just walking by and being like well now it's your problem yes. you're like what yeah so well, and it's yeah, like super fascinating the child tax credit thing that's one of the things that i always go to on this is like maybe we could just lower you know by lowering people's taxes you cut childhood poverty by 30 percent it's like maybe we and then you do have taxes for like the guys getting out of jail. I did some IT work for a program that that's what they did is 
like that was their first appointment after they got out of jail or prison was to come to this. They'd help them get IDs, get, you know, they had clothing and stuff like that, get them housing and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, so someone in that position, uh, but for the rest of us that do work and have income, like if we could just lower those taxes a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, that it, it, what is interesting to me is that Americans love to do nothing more than spend money on things that they don't need. Yes. And so if if we're giving people a thousand dollars to cover, you know, rent and some groceries, all of that money is going to go directly into our own pockets because people are just going to be buying more. Yes. And that's the part that I know it's not the immediate payoff that corporations like but you think somebody would point out that at some point if you're not paying people enough to buy things they can't buy things even if they wanted to <laughs> so like it doesn't make sense to me yeah to no it's uh well and then you look at some of the government programs you know in portland where it's like they're trying to build housing but they find out that it's like four hundred thousand dollars <laughs> per one bedroom apartment because of all the you know people that are different people involved and everything and it's like Seems yeah. like we could use that four hundred thousand dollars. That number is might be exaggerated, but it's yeah, like yeah. no. But I mean, still, if you gave that to people to spend on, like, then you don't have to build that housing, and they can just pay rent. Yes, like we we don't <laughs> have to solve that problem. So yeah, no, it is a very, fascinating very... idea, and I like that more and more places are trying it. I, uh, my wife Chelsea. She grew up in Stockton for a good part of her childhood. So I oh, remember reading some a few years ago about that program uh, in Stockton. Yeah. yeah uh, so very exciting. And I'm excited to keep keep studying it because it's the other thing that we do is we hear an idea that sounds nice. And we like put all our cards on that before <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> deciding whether or not that's a, a, a idea that works in real life or not. So <laughs> yeah, I'm glad some people are trying this out. Yes. So. Very cool. Good, good. Well, that is a long show. So I will let you yes. go, Nate. Thank you so much for filling in. And if this is not enough of uh, you for people, where else can they find you? Yes, well, you can, uh, Not Nerd, we are live on YouTube now with video on Monday nights, but we also have podcasts and we're talking technology and talking in a way for people that don't really care about technology, but still have to use it all the time. I occasionally post at PDX Fast Foodie, which is kind of my tongue-in-cheek Portland foodie uh, account. And then if you're in Portland, stop by the Marathon Taverna on Friday and Saturday nights uh, where I will be DJing and I will play your requests. So are you going to be there? I was thinking about this earlier today. Are you going to be there for New Year's? Uh, yes, I have done. I just passed 13 with a T years of DJing down there on the weekends. And I have done 13 New Year's Eves in a row at the Marathon Taverna. Wow. So, Cause I thought it's like, Oh, maybe I should, maybe I should go down to the uh, Taverna. Yes. And uh, for, yes, for it's uh, no cover charge ever, even on New Year's Eve, cheap oh, drinks, nice. good, uh, some Greek food and regular bar food, lots of TVs. It's, Wood paneling, and DJ. all I have to say, wood paneling. I mean, the, there is stuff that's been in there for 40 years and hasn't moved. Uh, but it's a cool, awesome. a cool little spot in Portland that's pretty chill. And 
uh, fun place to hang out. Not uh, pretentious. No, no zero pretentiousness for... at the Marathon Taverna. Uh, That's their new tagline. <laughs> uh, but you also have, as part of your Not Nerd Empire, uh, something called Not Picks, yes. which is a great thing coming up for the holidays if you have people that you need gifts for. Why don't you explain what that yes, is? Yes, yeah. So every episode, uh, Dave and I, we do a Picks of the Week. Oh, hold on. Our picks of the week <laughs> with my little uh, toy microphone that I commandeered from my daughter. Um, but yeah, we have notpicks.com. We're Amazon affiliates, so we get paid a little bit on Amazon links. But it is all kinds of technology. And if you have somebody that's hard to shop for, I guarantee yeah. you there's something on that site uh, that you can find that you're like, oh, this is amazing. And I've never even heard of this thing. So. Yeah, super fun picks and links to links to all of them. Yes. So your shopping is made easy at notpicks. Notpicks.com. Dot com. Well, there we go. Yes. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us yes. this week. Um I have nothing to play us out with, I guess. Oh, man. I'm not going to want to edit this, so I'll just play my slide whistle again. So <laughs> yes. thank you, everyone, for... Play, play a, lot, a lot of slide whistle. Play that funky slide whistle, white boy. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, yes, we will talk to you guys later. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me on. The end. <laughs>